the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The return of Jesus. It is going to take place sooner than later. The question is, are you ready for it? That's a question we'll explore next here on Truth For Today. Company is coming, and boy, you always knew it around our house because all of a sudden the chore list tripled by my mom. And us kids, oh boy, we had to make sure everything was ready and just right. So the question is similar. Are you ready for the return of Christ? What does it take to get ready? Do we have to clean things up? How should we be found when Jesus returns? We'll explore those questions today. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Let's catch up with him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, shall we? For this edition of Truth For Today. We used to talk about the 40-hour week. And I see the young executives in our own church and, and men that have good-paying jobs and, and uh, at least three cell phones on their hip, you know, and a pager, and a fax machine. Uh, they, they, they have this struggle. I can make the money. I just don't have any time to enjoy the money with those I love the most. Because I'm being consumed in the marketplace. And I just read in the paper the other day where the cost of living in the Bay Area is 65% higher than any other place in the United States. So we have these big commutes. I was going to a funeral in the valley uh, some time ago. We went to get my wife's cousin who lives in Brentwood. As we were going over uh, Bailey Road and that pass about 5.30 in the morning, uh, headlights as far as you could see going into Antioch, Brentwood, all the way. We used to go there to pick strawberries. You used to go there to see the country. You used to go there to see the Delta. And all I could see, for as far as I could see, was nothing but cars commuting to San Francisco. And retirement is evaporating in this culture because medical expenses are running up and pension plans are evaporating faster than we can keep up with them. It's a, a dangerous economic day, but here they were dealing with people that you had to work literally to eat. Uh, you had to do something to gain some kind of sustenance. And he said, they're out of order and they are falling into the trap of being sluggards. Uh, you must look with me. Get a little description of a sluggard in the Old Testament. Go to Proverbs. Let me just take you to one chapter. Oh, uh, give me a few chapters. Go to Proverbs 24 and see what this guy looks like in the Old Testament. It's hilarious, though pitiful. Uh, look at... Uh, Chapter 24, verse 30. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. 
I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. So he gives you this cameo shot of a sluggard, a slug, thank you, lazy, won't get involved, no industry. And he said his life's verse is a little sleep. Just a little sleep. What I really need is rest. What he needed was to weed his field and weed his corn and weed his crop. But all he had on his mind was leisure. I want to take leisure. Now watch what, how it describes him in chapter 26. Um, Look at verse 13. When it's time to get a job, when it's time to do his work, listen to how he thinks. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Now, this is the picture. He hasn't even gone out yet, but he says, I'd go to work, but there's a lion in the street. How do you know that? I just know there is. Every time it's time for me to work, there's a lion out there. So pretty soon, he begins to believe his own excuses. I, I would. I would. Believe me. But you haven't seen the lions in the neighborhood lately. Then watch. Watch how he describes him. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. I mean, and that's the only exercise he gets. That and to jumping to conclusion. That's his mental exercise. And notice this, get this. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. It's kind of like your, your treadmill. You're wanting to buy one of these things that you put a quarter in it and it moves your body. You know, I've got all kinds of exercise. If you went in my basement, you would think I was running a gym. I've got a treadmill down there. I've got a uh, recumbent bike. Uh, I have a total gym. I I've got little barbells. It's great for hanging clothes on. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I just sweat looking at it. I bought the, the treadmill for Carolyn, and then uh, she didn't use it like she, she said, you know what the problem is? I said, what is it? She said, I need a TV down there. This is where I pray and study. Move a TV in the study? What do you mean? If I had a TV, I could watch the news and do it. Guess what? I got a TV. Guess where it is? It's in the grandchildren's room. They watch their videos on it. Because after it was down there for a while, I didn't see any more uh, running taking place watching a TV. It is amazing that some people, this lazy man, he's just like the hinges of a door. That's the only exercise. And, and he's too lazy. And then when you try to tell him the wise way to live, listen to what he says in 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. You can't tell him a thing. He knows everything. He's got life all figured out. Um, there's not hardly any young people here. Young people, one of the afflictions of your age 
is lack of ambition and laziness. We've got more junior colleges around, more education available, and I see so many kids with no motivation because if it takes any work, they don't want to do it. My dad used to tell about in Oklahoma about a farmer that was too lazy to help his family. And so my dad grew up there when it was martial law. His own brothers or his dad's people hung a man for stealing a saddle. No law, so they just hung him. Uh, five Howard boys hung the guy. Well, this farmer guy wasn't doing anything with crops. And they decided he wouldn't fit to live, wouldn't take care of his wife, wouldn't take care of his children. They decided they'd go take him out and hang him. They cleaned up the neighborhood. And so uh, uh, they, they did. They got him in the back of a wagon. And uh, they're riding along, taking him to the place they're going to hang him. And the men begin to talk. says, you know, we could help him out. We, we, I guess if we all pitched in a little bit on, from our crops, we could at least help him get through the winter. And uh, they were on their way. And one farmer said, you know what? I can give him a bushel of corn. And the guy was tied up in the back of the wagon. He ro- rose up. And he said... Has it been shucked? And the guy said, no. He said, keep riding. Keep riding. You know, uh, laziness, laziness. Uh, uh, some folks, they're too lazy to do God's work. Uh, they've always, and here he's taking on a brother, and they're probably using this eschatology this prophetic truth. He's coming. He's coming. I can't get involved. Jesus, any moment's coming. I can't. I'm just watching. I'd work, but I'm waiting and watching. Wait, watch, and work. That's what he's telling them. Don't use this prophetic truth that Christ is coming and the end of Antichrist, however they wove that in and however it's being used, Prophetic truth has never been a thing to give you molasses in your blood and cause you not to work. So he starts telling them, hey, tell this brother, be careful. And he says, how you ought to respond. See, we never, this is why men don't preach chapter 3. I thought, God, do I have to preach chapter 3? Yeah, I guess I do. God wanted us to hear it. And he tells us how to respond to a lazy brother. Now, there's probably none in Valley Bible, but there was here. So look what he tells them in verse 6. Keep away from every brother who is idle and does not keep this teaching. Uh, In verse 14, he says, take note of him. Uh, Mark this man. 14, he says, don't associate with him. Uh, It says, don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so um, Paul went on to say he was a model of how to work. Um, you know what? If you spend 40 to 50 hours a week on a job, could you be a model worth watching and working? I, I seldom hear people thanking God for their job. I seldom hear them thank God for their employer. It seemed to be more in style to complain about them. And yet, here Paul says, when I was among you, I set you an example. Rabbis were taught, you learn a trade to support yourself because a rabbi was never to take money for teaching. 
And so Paul grew up as a leather craftsman. We hear the term tent maker. That was the ability to work with leather. Who knows what all he could do with leather. So he said, when I was among you, I was an example to you. I worked hard, verse 7. We were not idle and we did not loaf. We didn't eat other people's food without paying for it. Now, it's not that he didn't have dinner with somebody, but that was a phrase that said, we're not counting on our subsistence to be where we're doing missionary work. That's quite interesting. He goes on to say, I have the right to be paid. But when he was engaged in missionary work, planning the gospel where Christ had not been named, he did not count on the heathen or the pagan or the unsaved to be a source of income for him. The only time a man ever ought to be supported is when there is a body of saved people large enough to constitute the ability to raise up support for them. But when he was doing evangelism, when he was among the unsaved, he never went there asking for an offering. He went there, he worked by day, paid all of his bills. I came to give you the gospel free, and he was the supreme example, not only to people, but to pastors and workers everywhere. He was a hardworking man. I think one of the great testimonies you can have is to be one of the best workers on your job and to be a model. I remember in the early days of this church, one of our young men went to work for United Grocers, uh, loading groceries like at a Safeway place, but he loaded groceries there. You know what the problem was? He was hit by the union guys to slow down because he worked so hard. He read the verses in Ephesians and Colossians. Do your work as unto the Lord and not unto men. Work hard as unto him. Don't steal from the company. Don't steal time. Don't be a sluffer. Don't hang out the coffee room longer than you ought to. But be an example of a work ethic. And the guys came to him and said, We don't like the pace you're setting. Slow down. And he came to me, what should I do? I said, work heartily unto the Lord. Don't overdo it. I hope you don't lose your job. But he'd been around a bunch of guys that learned to do a minimum, slough, go on. And here the zealous believer who didn't even hardly have a job until he became a Christian, didn't even think work was uh, holy. He didn't need to. He grew up around money. But he had a work ethic that grabbed him from the scriptures. And I ask ourselves, are you a good employee? Are you a good employer? If you're a good employer, you ought to be a model, too, of being gracious and generous and fair. Don't take all the profits for yourself. Remember the guy that worked for you. But he's saying something very practical at the end of one of the strongest prophetic books in the New Testament. Hey, by the way, beware of those few brethren among you that are taking this attitude. We will just slough, live off the church, and won't have a work ethic. Work ethic. The Bible said if you've been a thief all your life, get a job and work so that you may supply the needs of others. Ephesians 4.29. It says in Colossians 3, 
Be motivated by the Lord, not by a boss always breathing over you. Would the Lord approve of the way you work? Ephesians says, work, don't steal. You have 1 Timothy 5, 9 that says, you ought to make it your ambition to make enough money that if you had a widowed mother, you could support her and you wouldn't hang around, wait till she dies so you can get an inheritance. My brother David calls those the waiters. People just wait for their folks to die so they can get some money. He said in First Timothy, the child ought to be able to support the parent. Quite a change in our culture. Work. Who has a biblical work ethic? Now, I must say this. Be careful, men. Don't let your job be your God. Don't let your job be your wife and your mistress. Don't let the company give you another promotion and move you to a 70-hour week. Because your kids aren't going to remember your job as much as your absence. An absentee father can have little impact. And the great, great crime of our culture is that greed and economics has robbed us of women in the home because you can't hardly live in the Bay Area without a man and a woman working. God's idea would be a man could support his wife and children. It'd be a 50s home where mama could stay home with these children you beget. And you can know each other in the evening. But greed and economics and this unbreakable pace that America's going at at this time to get money, get money, houses going out of proportion. It makes me sick as a pastor to see houses since I've lived here 62 years, to see houses that sold for 20000 going for 500000 Oh, it disgusts me. It disgusts me because my grandchildren probably won't get to live here. Disgust me because young married couples in this church, their wife has to figure out how to get a job. Who cares if anybody raises the children? It is a horrendous pressure I know that you couples are living with. Only God can give you strength and wisdom how to navigate these economic times. But for one thing for sure, let it not be said of pastors, preachers, believers, deacons, elders, they are lazy people. There is too much to be done and too little time for us to be lazy. Let me say something about retirement while we're on a touchy subject. We have no Bible for retirement. They just lived and died. No retirement. So if you have a retirement, that's a wonderful economic privilege. But let me tell you how to die early. Become inactive become disengaged and just sit around waiting for your social security check to come with nothing to do. You're going to die younger than you ought to. Every mind and every body ought to be as engaged as you can. You're going to change your activity maybe from the job you had for years or whatever you got your retirement check from. But God meant for your mind. There's no place in the Bible. When you're 65, you're no longer usable to God. When you're 65, just draw a check, disengage, resign all your offices in the church, and just travel all over the country. After a while, you'll get sick of it. 
There's still classes to be taught. There's still rest homes to be visited. There's still encouragement cards that can be written. You're still a human being that can make a viable contribution to the lives of not only your children and grandchildren, but the lives of others. And let me say what we ought to be doing around this holiday time. We tell our deacons, if you know of any widow in this church, let one of our deacons know. Give it to me. We want to know. If there's anybody in this church in need in December, we want to do something to help them. Don't we? We do. Why? Well, I am not going to help it. Yeah, we are. God, don't let the stingy ever get in charge of this budget. I want to tell you, we, every time we give it out, God pours more on us and we keep track. And when we keep giving it to the poor, the needy, last week a family was in desperate need. This church has an agape fund. Ron Hughes was able to cut a check so that the rent's paid. Because you give the money to the Agape Fund. You give the money. We get to spend it. And we give to it too. I'm going to tell you, be on the lookout. There's a big difference, by the way, in somebody that won't work and someone that's unable to work. He's not talking about the disabled here. He's not talking about sickness, affliction, injuries. He's talking about a will. I won't work. That's the danger. Matter of fact, don't you pray God will let you work until you take your last breath? That you could be doing something to help someone? So he's talking about full engagement, full engagement in life. Then he says, as he concludes, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I must say this. That peace is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts I can imagine to lose it. Carol and I were having a cup of coffee the other morning. She said, you know what? What would you trade, sweetheart, for the peace of God? That all is well. All is well. We just had an her aging aunt and uncle. He's got Alzheimer's, 83. Her aunt, 83. Arthritis, can barely walk. But she's been a model Christian to Carol and all. And we just talk about her aunt broke down crying that she's losing her husband. She hates to see, can't even remember where the bathroom is. I was trying to play checkers and couldn't remember the moves. And uh, been a, a strong man, but the mind is going. A Francis Sylvester in a home here in Rodale, one of the sharpest women in this church for years. Now she doesn't even know her daughter when she comes to see her. Um, you know, you want to thank God for peace. What would you do if you have Alzheimer's? George Patterson, struggling to remember. Sometimes he knows Linda, sometimes he struggles. And his life changing. Vietnam vet. Loves this Linda. But the body is caving in. What would you do if you couldn't remember your wife's name and your children's name? Would there be a deep settled peace internally because you know God even though your faculties were going? Here he prays for these believers. 
There's men that want to persecute the church and want to kill Paul, but something they have not been able to take from him was that peace Jesus promised in John. My peace I leave with you, not as the world giveth, give I to you, but my peace, even in the shadow of the cross in John 17, I'll be dead within 24 hours, but I want to give you something I've got. I've got peace and I'm going to give it to my followers. And he concludes by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. What does that mean? May God's unmerited favor surround the rest of your life. And so we see this majestic, majestic book concludes on such practical notes. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone, and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Lesson,